excuse to play uh, the clip from one of my favourite comedy films. Has anyone seen that? See no evil, hear no evil. It's an old film. I'm surprised more of you haven't seen it. It's uh, Richard Pryor there. He plays a character called Wally, and he's, he's a blind guy. But he's in total denial about his disability. He doesn't want other people to see his disability and recognise that. So he's just kind of, I want to be normal along the normal hearing world. I just feel, at the seeing world, I want to kind of fit in. Um, now what he does, he teams up with Gene Wilder, the character Gene Wilder that he plays. Uh, I think his name's Dave. And Gene Wilder's deaf. So <laughs> he's blind and he's deaf. And between them, they witness a crime, a murder. And so <clears throat> Wally here, he, he hears the, uh, the, the murderer and what, what's going on, but he didn't see anything. And Dave, well, he sees it, but he doesn't hear. It's, it's just a crazy, crazy team up, and they get together and they solve the crime. They... It's mad. You've got to watch it. It's completely crazy. But in this here, Richard Pryor, um, again, he's just wanting to fit in seamlessly with the seeing world. And, and so he's like, he finds himself in that ultimate ridiculous place, doesn't he? Of a blind guy leading a blind guy. It's just mental. Uh, across a busy street, it's just, well, it's not going to happen. But actually, I don't know, have you come across that term? It's like the blind leading the blind? In other words, it, it's just like this is a ridiculous situation. But do you know what? Do you know where that saying comes from? It comes from the Bible. You know that? The blind leading the blind. It's something that Jesus actually said in a parable. Uh, when he's like sharing with with the disciples one day and he talks about the blind leading the blind. We'll come to that in a moment. So actually, if you want to sort of start looking at Luke 6, start thumbing through there, um, we'll come up to that in a moment. There's a reason why I played that video. It'll make sense in a minute. We're kind of partway into a series of talks that I've called Living It. We're living it. We're called to live a life or live the way of Jesus, live the Jesus way. <coughs> and, and that's kind of what this, this whole thing is about. It's basically, there's this open invitation for us to become uh, Jesus' Talmudim. Remember, that was a Hebrew word which translates to disciple. Uh, or uh, apprentice, I prefer the word ap- apprentice. I think it's a better way of translating Talmudim. And now what we've been saying is that if we're going to live the life of a an apprentice, a student, or a a disciple of Jesus, then what we're going to do is we're going to focus our lives, we're going to prioritise our our lives on three things. And that is, first, to be with Jesus, second, to become more like Jesus, and then thirdly, to do the things that Jesus did. So they're they're the three things, as those who are committed to following Jesus, disciples of Jesus, whatever you want to call yourself, Christians... That's our focus. Just those three things. Okay, so it's to be with Jesus, to become more like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And last week I, uh, I was sharing and kind of unpacking a little bit more what it is to be with Jesus. This morning what I want to do is just share a few things about what being with Jesus produces in us. In fact, there's just so much to this. I've had to split it into two. We're going to start this morning and we'll finish up uh, next week. We're talking about becoming like Jesus. Um, so let's kick off then by reading Luke chapter 6 from verse 39 
as I say, this is a parable that Jesus told the disciples and I think this is the shortest parable that Jesus told. It's one of those parables you blink and you miss it. It's, uh, it's real short. It's just two verses. Okay, so get ready, <laughs> ready for this. Verse 39. It says, He also told them this parable. Here we go. Can the blind lead the blind? A question. Well, kind of. I mean, we, we <laughs> in, in the video. Kind of, but it's not great. Can the, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? That's a good question. The answer, yes. Or end up in the back of a lorry, uh, as we just saw. Verse 40. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained, is that thing, will be like their teacher. Everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. That's it. Parable over. <laughs> Passed out. Did you blink? You did, you missed it. Um, that's it. Just two verses. And what essentially is it about? It's about... Discipleship, that's what Jesus was teaching. And Jesus starts this very short uh, parable with a question. Can the blind lead the blind? Now Jesus, in in posing that question, he was kind of having a dig at the the Pharisees of his day. I don't know if you've read the four Gospels recently. Maybe you're going through the four Gospels in our 45-day plan. Anybody doing that? Yeah, I've got a few people doing that, that's cool. If you read the stories, uh, the Gospels of Jesus, he was often calling the, the Pharisees blind guides. He is like really offensive. Uh, blind guides is what he called them. So this is kind of like, a, again, it's a nod to them. It's a, yeah, <laughs> those guys. Um, but essentially he's saying here is, listen, you know, there are blind disciples out there and they're following blind rabbis. There are blind disciples, blind followers, and they're following blind rabbis. And then he goes on to talk something very specific about students. It's said in that version, isn't it? Students. I looked at many other English translations of the Bible, and many of them actually put disciples there. It's the same word from the Greek to English, uh, disciples. Or apprentices. Again, the word I prefer to use, apprentices. So what he was saying essentially is, Students, the students or the disciple or the, the apprentice is not above his or her teacher or rabbi, but everyone who is, he said, fully trained will be like their teacher. Everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. Now, your first thing you, you notice about this short parable, again, is the whole point of apprenticeship is becoming like your rabbi. That's the whole point of it, uh, of apprenticeship. It's you become like your teacher. It's not about just knowing all of the Bible. It's not about getting all your theological ducks <laughs> lined up and getting all that sort of sussed. But it's actually about being transformed into the image of, so to speak, your teacher, your rabbi, Jesus. The next thing you notice is that it takes training. It takes training. Jesus said those who are fully trained will be like their uh, teacher. So what he's saying is, this thing just doesn't happen by happenstance. It just doesn't naturally happen. You have to train for this. Also, if you think about it, if there are those who are fully trained, it stands to reason that there will be those that would be partially trained. You've got people that are fully trained in the faith, and those who are partially trained as well, partially trained apprentices. In other words, there are different stages of discipleship for all of us. And 
And what that means is that this apprenticeship to Jesus isn't just an instant moment, you know, set of prayer, I've now you know, become a Christian, I've arrived, I've made it, I'm like Jesus. That's not what he's saying. It's, it's a process, something we're training uh, that happens over time. I just want to uh, answer the question, well, what does that mean for us then? What, what does that mean for you and me? Well, I just want to ask you all to stand a moment, if you can do this. I'm going to ask you a question, and the answer to the question will determine whether or not you stay, or, uh, stay standing or sit down. Now, what I want you to do is to try and be as realistic, truthful, and fair to yourself. When I, it's, this is kind of evaluating where you are on your discipleship journey, for one of a better description, okay? So, I want you to remain standing if you are more than 10% like Jesus. Yeah? Oh, we lost everybody. I thought we would have got a bit further than that. Okay. Maybe I should have started at 1%, you know? Oh, by the way, hang on. If I had a seat, I'd be sat down too, Okay. The point is, not many of us, I'd say none of us, can actually say that we have arrived at this thing in becoming like Jesus. That's the reality. We, We haven't arrived yet. But what that actually says, and this is quite uncomfortable, what that actually says about each of us is that we each need to change. Is that fair to say? We we all have to change. If that's our goal, to become like Jesus... We all have to change. And what I'm not talking about here is just a slight tweak to our life here and there. <coughs> I mean, most of us, if not all of us, we need a radical overhaul of our entire person, our whole person, inside from the inside out, if we're going to become like Jesus. Now, this radical overhaul of the entire person that I'm talking about, when the, when the New Testament talks about that, it, and that sort of level of change, that sort of degree of change, the New Testament uses a word, and the word it uses is transformation. That's what it says, it talks about transformation. I'll give you an example uh, passage of where it uses that word. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And it says, uh, And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate, it means reflect in, in this context, we all reflect the Lord's glory, which is Jesus. Uh, so we all, with uh, unveiled faces, we reflect Jesus, we who do that, our being, and is our word, transformed into the image, into his image, sorry, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're being transformed into his likeness. The word translated there is a word that comes from the Greek word metamorpho. And it's where the word, the word that we get metamorphosis, right? You know, that's the morphing, you know, the form literally changing from one uh, form to another. The word is often linked to the change of that of a caterpillar when it becomes a butterfly. It's just that, you know, physical morphing, transformation, alteration of form. I had a look in the dictionary.com online, if you search for the word metamorphosis on there, it says this. 
it says it's a profound change in form from one stage to the next in the life history of an organism as from a caterpillar to the pupa, so the chrysalis thing, uh, and from the pupa to the adult butterfly. It's this, I just think of like things like X-Men and some of those characters that are shapeshifters, you know, and they literally change shape and colour and whatever. It's that sort of radical, uh, profound change. But the question for us today, in respect to this degree of profound transformation, it is, it, the question is, is this change possible? Is that level of change possible for us? Now, I don't believe it is possible in and of ourselves. I'll explain a little bit more in a minute. Because we're not talking about just shining up the outside, so to speak. We're not, you know, just putting on an act or be, you know, behaviour change. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. It's not just making yourself look better on the outside. And to some varying degree, we can all do that for a length of time. <laughs> we can all make ourselves look different and look maybe better than what we actually are. But I think we can't do that indefinitely. <laughs> But transformation from the inside out, to live that radical, provocative, countercultural way of Jesus, you know, to actually change to the image of Jesus. I believe that level of metamorphosis is not possible in and of ourselves. It's, it's only possible with God working in and with us. Now, by the way, that, the question is, it's not the question of whether or not we want to change. You know, if you are on the discipleship journey, I'm sure, like me, you want to become more like Jesus, right? So it's not an issue about whether or not we want to, it's just that we can't. <laughs> we don't know how to <laughs> in ourselves. I read a uh, quote a couple of weeks ago by a guy called Dallas Willard. Some of you, no, I don't think anybody has heard that. I think James does. James is Dallas Willard, yeah. He was talking about this transformation, this change, becoming a, like Jesus. And the word he used to describe it is spiritual formation. The old church kind of way of saying it was sanctification. And he kind of put like a, a modern uh, hip phrase to, to it. It's spiritual formation. But this is his working definition of that. He said spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process, that's the process, of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. It's that process of increasingly being possessed, so taken over, you know, commandeered and taken over, possessed and permeated, I just say penetrated, impregnated with the character traits of Jesus. Another point I kind of touched on uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think it's in the introduction to the series, we're all being shaped and formed by something or somebody. Whether you're conscious of that, whether you believe that or not, we're all being changed. Every second of the day, every minute, every hour, every, every day, we as human beings, we weren't made to be this static thing. We were made to be, you know, sort of shaped and dynamic and, you know, and being formed all the time. But we're all being shaped by something or somebody. 
Well, let me just say another way. We're all disciples of something or somebody. We're all disciples of something or somebody. So the question is, is not are you an apprentice to somebody? The question is, who are you or what are you an apprentice of? So what I'm saying then is there are others, other people and other things which bring about change within us. Now that sort of uh, catalyst of change that kind of we're bombarded with every day can be split up into two chief categories. Um, and one of those categories of, that catalyze change in our lives, the first one we can call unintentional formation. Unintentional formation. <coughs> now, unintentional formation is about the things that form you without you applying any intention to it. Okay? So it's about how you, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to go to school, or you go to work, or you're going to hang out in the office, you go about your day, you'll be with your family, whatever you're actually going to do, but there's no intentional thought to your discipleship journey towards Jesus. So it's not, it's not a conscious thing, but you and I are being formed and shaped within that context, within that paradigm, if you like. And it's within that paradigm, within that category, we have three, that's why i got a triangle, we have three areas, um, chief components, I guess. The first component is that we are being formed by the stories that we believe, the narratives in life that we believe, things that we've been brought up to believe. And you know what? We crave story. We, we crave story. We have stories. And, and what it is, they help us to navigate and to understand, make sense of this messy, confusing world that we all live in. <clears throat> but we crave story. We're, I mean, we're obsessed with films, you know, movies and storybooks and you know, myths, storytelling, all those things. We just, we crave it. It's like we were literally created to live in the stories. <laughs> you know? That's what we were for. And they influence us, influence us, and they change the way you and I live. I'll give you an example of that. We talk about sexuality. If you believe that monogamy, so yeah, that marriage relationship between one other individual, if you believe that monogamy is, is just a social construct, it's just something that has been purely developed through the cultural and uh, social ideas, social thinking, and that marriage is just something that we've made up. If that's kind of the way you think, and that you know, sex is just great fun. It's just it's a great thing. It's like fun for adults to do. Um, it's nothing more than just a physical or biological release. If you can't, this is the way you view um, our, our sexuality, then clearly that is going to affect the way that you and I enjoy or don't enjoy sexuality in our relationships. It's just based on, what's the story? What's our narrative surrounding that that area? Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I've got some nods. But here's the thing. We've got hundreds, if not thousands of narratives like that that we adhere to, we grab hold of, and we live life. They shape us. They change us. They make us live in certain ways. So that's the first thing, that the stories, our stories, our narratives shape us. Second, then, is our habits. Our habits shape us. The things that we engage in, in some kind of habitual, sort of routine fashion. <clears throat> Do you know there's been an absolute ton of work and study done over oh, the last few decades, I think, in this kind of field of psychology, about the, the idea and the interest in the power of habit. 
You know, the power of habit. Habit reshapes us. Our habits reshape us. Or another way of saying that is the things we do do something to us. (laughs) The things we do actually do something to us. Our routines and our habits, they become so embedded in our daily life. They, They get right into what the Bible calls the heart of you, the very core of who you are, and they actually reshape. And they reshape your desires, the things you want, your, your yearnings, your things that you long for. They change all those things. I remember um, a number of years ago, I, I was never really into drinking wine. You know, wine is, oh, and particularly red wine. Angela used to, we'd try red wine and it was like, it's drinking vinegar, man, it's just disgusting. And then, we got, and I can't remember how, but we got into, maybe it's just socialising with the neighbours or something, we got into eating bread and cheese in the evening. Bit of supper, you know? It's been nice. Yeah. Sitting down, oh, what, what are we going to do? Watch film, actually get some bread and cheese out. And we, and we found out doing that a couple of nights a week. And then somehow we introduced wine back into that. Because <laughs> we just thought, oh, it's kind of fitting. Cheese, bread, wine. And it was kind of, mm, it's okay. <laughs> but it was just, it works, you know. And th- without us knowing, all of a sudden there was like this habit, this routine was being formed in us. And before you know it, we were like, like eating bread and wine every night of the week. <laughs> and of course that meant we were buying a bottle of wine and thinking about the wine every night of the week. It changed our longings, it changed our desires. I really enjoyed it. I don't do that now, okay? <laughs> We're not still doing a bottle of wine and I. We, we curbed that. We thought, I still enjoy wine, but you know, we just you know, don't drink during the week. We just have seven bottles over the weekend. It's, uh... No, we don't. Six. Six bottles over the weekend. <laughs> but the point is, our habits, they, they change us. They shape us. They change the things that we long for and the things that we desire. And the third one, then, is relationships the relationships that we are most involved in you know we become more like the people that we hang out with most of the time I don't know if any of you can remember growing up in school I know it was only a couple of years ago for some of you and it was a few more years ago for others but when growing up when you went to school you probably dressed like the group of people you hung out with most yeah or you listened to the music and all those sorts of things and watch the TV soaps of all your close friends those circle of friends that you used to hang hang about with the odds are is that even now you think like the group of people that you hang about with most and maybe it's your family people in the office uh, space over time it's very likely that you and I become like those people that are around us on a regular basis clearly this can be a good thing (laughs) But it can also be a bad thing. How many of us have heard parents say something like, my son and daughter, or son or daughter, they changed for the worse since they got involved with that relationship. Or they just, you know, went, things went downhill when they got involved with that circle of friends. It's so common because relationships form us. So the stories then we believe, the habits that we live, the relationships that we're involved with, they seem to have this energy about them and they change us they, they, and they conspire 
I'm sure they do. They conspire. They kind of collaborate. They work together and they shape us and they shape us to become a specific kind of person. And then the last point is the centre of that triangle. All these things, they, they, they take place in an environment. They take place around an environment. So you could say that's the town that we live in, the street that you li- where you live, the company or the establishment that you work for. They all enforce unintentional formation. I don't know whether you've thought about that before, but the town where you live, the town where you live, or the city where you live, can actually form and change you into somebody else. Have you thought about that? It's like towns and cities and things. They've got like a personality of themselves. It's true. It's called cultural influence. Now, clearly, all this doesn't happen in just a single moment. It happens over time. And it happens through all of our experiences that we have within those environments. And that's the good experience, the bad, the in-between experiences, all these things that we encounter in life, the things that happen to us, as many of you know, have the power to shape us and the power to form who we are and sometimes form us into the person that we never intended to, to be. The whole point here is that all of this stuff has the power to affect us. And for, that, um, and for it to have an effect, all we have to do is to get up tomorrow morning. <laughs> just go out and go about your day. You don't have to strategize. You don't have to plan it. It just happens. We're all becoming someone. Here's the question. For you and me as apprentices to Jesus... How do we counteract this? How do we kind of like, you know, come against this or offset it, come against it? As a friend of Jesus, how do we change not to become more like our city or the culture of our city? But how do we become more like Jesus? Well, we're going to answer that question a little bit more let's, next week. This is where I kind of like running out of time. Um, so we talk about the things that we can do to counteract those things, those, each of those three, three areas. But for today, I just want to finish by just spending a couple of minutes just talking about a couple of myths that the church, we the church, we kind of bought into in relation to the whole thing about spiritual formation and change. There's two myths. first myth is this. Is that all we really need, all we really need is to know more of the Bible. That's all you need. Just get more information in. You'll become more like Jesus if you just know more of the Bible. So we read the Bible, and we study the Bible, and we memorise the Bible, and we talk lots about the Bible. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong here, I'm not criticising, I'm not down on reading the Bible and the Bible. I was trying to encourage it last week, wasn't I? I put out a 45-day plan to try and encourage people to form a little bit of a, a habit in us to read the scriptures. It's critical. I, I just think this is, um, it's just not enough. Reading the Bible I, I, it's on itself, in itself, is not enough. Now let me just uh, kind of share where I think this thinking came from. The problem is we have been so deeply shaped by history and if we just go back to like the Protestant Reformation, so you know, 500 years ago, there was a guy called Martin Luther, a real you know, example of a man. He was a great leader, great leader of the movement. 
And his theory was how we, how we change, how we become more like Jesus is through what he called preaching the word, preaching the gospel. It was about sermons. He was saying that sermons and the Bible and teaching those things, the more we expose ourselves to that, we become more like Jesus. That was his, his idea. Something in addition to that was also the sacraments. Because as was Luther, he was the father of the Reformation, he was also very Catholic in his thinking about the bread and wine and, you know, what we call communion. And so for Luther and a whole bunch of other people, influential people of his day, um, in their mind, all, they, all we had to do was turn up to church on a Sunday, listen to some teaching, some preaching on the Bible, take the bread and wine, do that over and over, and in time you'll become like Jesus. And that kind of bread and mindset that that's what church is all about. That's all discipleship is about. You come to church, listen to the Bible, take the bread and wine, and go home. That's it. In addition to the Reformation, there was another <laughs> great influence, uh, a great effect on Western consciousness, was the Enlightenment. This is around the 17th, early 17th century through 18th and 19th century. And in the midst of that period, there were influences like that of René Descartes. I don't know whether you've heard of René Descartes. Really, Descartes was kind of dubbed the father of Western philosophy. And he had this famous line, I'm sure that some of you have heard it, I think, therefore, I am. I think, therefore, I am. In, in essence, he called human beings thinking things. That's all <laughs> we're just kind of thought machines or something. We're thinking things. You are the sum of what you think about, what happens in your, in your head. And, and that whole kind of thinking, that philosophy, influenced and shaped the Western world. And it actually shaped our approach to church and it shaped our approach to discipleship. We are, this whole thing is purely an exercise of the mind. It's information. So we kind of boiled down discipleship to solely an intellectual endeavour. So to, uh, we make disciples simply through information transfer. We, it's about educating people. And so what we've said is, if you want to grow, you want to mature and become more like Jesus, just come along to the Bible study group on whatever night of the week it is. Or just come along to the small group and read this book and answer these questions. Or all you need to, grow, to do to grow become, to become more like Jesus is, is go through the latest navigation uh, or navigator's course on Christian theology, whatever it is. Now again, please don't get me wrong, I'm not down on those things. I, get, I would encourage us to participate in study of the scriptures, coming together to do that in small groups and all sorts. But what I'm saying is information transfer alone doesn't fix our problem of needing to change to be more like Jesus. Right? Information alone doesn't fix that. And we're wrong to assume that, you know, if, as our knowledge of the Bible goes up, then our changing to Jesus' character goes up as well. We're wrong if we think that automatically happens. Yes, it might happen. <laughs> and it's our goal, it's our intention that it happens, but we can't assume that it necessarily will happen that way. This is the thing. Knowing something is not the same as doing it. And which is different, again, to wanting to do, to do it. <laughs> you know? There are a whole bunch of things that I know is right and good, and yet I don't do them. 
There are a whole bunch of things that I know are right, and if I'm really honest, I don't want to do them as well. They're not the same thing. You see, this is far deeper a problem than just what you know or what you don't know in our brains up here. <coughs> now, this is a, a key point for us as we you know, consider our pursuit for or our apprenticeship to, to Jesus. We can't think our way to Christ-likeness. <laughs> you know, just think, I'm thinking more like Jesus and I'll become like Jesus. It doesn't... It doesn't work like that. We can't think our way to Christ's likeness. The way of Jesus is not just a set of ideas. The way is a, a way of living. Living it. That's why I've called this series Living It. It's about living out. It's a lifestyle. It's, and that's the only way to Christ's likeness. So that's the first myth. The second myth, let me just finish with this. And this kind of myth, I think, comes out of the Pentecostal sort of background, the charismatic, which, which is what we are. I mean, this is our history. Um, it's kind of the artistic, charismatic sort of thing. And, and basically it says this, you don't need to do anything, it's all God. When it comes to transformation, changing into the character of Christ, you don't have any part to blame it, you just don't do anything, it's all God. And it kind of gives rise to a well-known cliché phrase, and I hate clichés in church stuff. Uh, you've probably heard it, I've heard it a million times, let go and let God. <laughs> that is too bad theologically. Let, let go. I've said it to people in the past. <laughs> just let go and let go. It's, you know, it's just him. It's not it's, oh, terrible. I, you could call this matrix theology <laughs> or spiritual formation matrix. Anybody see the film Matrix? The matrix. One, one, two, three people. Well, I had loads of people seen the Matrix. <clears throat> you remember that part in the pro- where it's like program download for Trinity. You know, she's running away from the agents and there's a helicopter there. She's not a pilot or anything. She's just got, she gets in touch with operator and says, I need, I need to download the program for the B-12 helicopter or something. Her eyes kind of go, oh, I got it. Jump to the helicopter and later. <laughs> and so this, I think this is like, I mean, it would be cool. If, if it really worked that way, I think it would be absolutely fantastic. And can you imagine? Jesus, I need the program download for peace. <laughs> I feel so bad. Great. Jesus, I need a download program from patients. My kids are just... Hey, kids. (laughs) Jesus, I need a program download for freedom from addiction. Man, I just don't even need that thing anymore. I just don't feel as though I want to be involved with that. I just don't need it. That would be so cool. Why didn't you do it that way, God? It would be good, but it just doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't work that way. That, to me, is kind of a let go and let God style approach to this. You've got nothing to do with it. Just let God do it all. As I say, I hate cliches, but if we're going to live by a cliche, I think I'd rather we'll live by this cliche. Without God, we can't, but without me or without us, God won't. That's a bit more realistic, it's a bit less cheesy as well. Um, without him, we can't. Without us, God won't transform us and change us. You see, this is a joint effort between you and God. It's you have a responsibility and you have a part to play in this, and God has a part and responsibility to play in all of this. 
And then people kind of throw back to me, yeah, but hang on, Rob. This is all about, we're about grace here. It's not works. It's grace. We're not under the law. We don't need to work at this. It's, it's grace. Again, Dallas Willard, he was talking about this, grace. And he said, grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And sometimes I think we confuse the two. Grace doesn't equal effort. And this thing about transformation requires our effort as well as God's power, supernatural power working within us. It requires effort. It requires training. Jesus was saying in the passage, those who are trained, fully trained. You know, I was reading, actually James posted something up on Facebook a few days ago. He said, there's no way I am going to do the London Marathon. And that makes sense because it would be stupid for him now just to go and do the London Marathon, just like it would be. It would kill me. It'd kill him. Because he needs to train. He needs to work it. And that's what I like, you know, if we're going to talk about our discipleship journey and becoming Christ-like. I liked, the analogy I'd like to use is a marathon. And just like James honestly said, oh, there's no way when a marathon now. And I couldn't. Because it would be ludicrous just to, you know, for me. Actually, I think James would probably got to be a, give a better shot at it than what I could. Uh, <laughs> it takes training. It takes effort. And we have to put effort in and training to actually be able to do that. So the question, or the, answer, the thing is, James or I could not run the marathon. It's we could not run the marathon yet. And there may be elements to, to Jesus' character where you say, oh, I just couldn't, I love my enemies away. I couldn't just live without anxiety like that. It's actually, no, I can't live without, without anxiety yet. But with training and with effort and with God's work in me, I absolutely will. So that's kind of where we're going to pick up from uh, next week. Talk a little bit more about how we, if you get the, how do we counteract those things? Three, three things and the area, the environment. What do we do with God in partnering with God? It's kind of like filling out on what I started speaking about the last couple of weeks. And by the way, we're going to really unpack it. All the you know spiritual practices is essentially what we're talking about. We're going to really unpack the spiritual practices and how can we do that in creative ways and interesting ways and how can we be keep it, hold each other account in that and all that sort of stuff. It's going to be great. Honest, it'll be really great. So why don't we stand?